2 Corinthians 5.17. It's our theme verse for this series. Paul's writing, it says, that means anybody belongs to Christ. He's become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's been the theme of our message here this entire summer. You know, there's a Christianese sort of cliche thing is I want to claim a promise. I want to claim a promise. And that can be kind of a vague thing to say. But if there is ever a promise that I want to claim, if there's ever something I want to apply to my life, this side of heaven, is to understand how to walk in new life with Christ. So faith in Jesus Christ ought to have a practical impact on our life. It shouldn't be a theory. It shouldn't be something that we just do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. It should have a practical impact on the way that we live. And that difference, that impact that it has, is not based on my opinions, not based on your opinions. It's not based on the opinions of the culture this decade or even this century. But this difference is described in Scripture, and that's where the power comes from. It's, it comes from Scripture, and it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Our series attempted to unpack this promise of the new life in a progression of three arcs over three months. The first arc entails solving the problem of sin. The simple fact of the matter is that sin separates us from God, and that's the first thing that prevents us from having any sort of new life or peace or joy in our life. Of course, He is powerful enough to pierce that separation, to change things. But we must be saved before we can experience the new life. Let me explain it this way. In the beginning, God created the world. It was perfect. He created the world. He created the animals. He created the air. He created Adam and Eve. And they were in perfect harmony with him. There was peace. There was communion. There was joy. And there was purpose in life. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose to walk away from him. And that walking away from him is called sin, where they reject him. And you know what? I've done the same thing in my life, and you've done the same thing in your life. When we walk away from God, that's called sin. When we disobey him, it's called sin. When we rebel against him, it's called sin. You know what that does? That sin separates us from God. And that separation is a problem, and not just a theoretical problem. It's a theological problem, because God judges sin. His wrath is on sin. He punishes sin. So we know, we know, Adam and Eve knew that there was a problem. We know that there's a problem. We often do things to try to get back to God. You know, we have our own sense of righteousness and morality that we try to follow inconsistently, if we're honest. We have careers and jobs and worthy things that we try to fill our lives with. We have entertainment that we try to fill our lives with, money, all these things but they're not perfect. They're not what God is looking for. And ultimately, they don't solve the problem of sin and separation and judgment that we have. But the good news is, is that God loved us so much that he solved this problem. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, he came to earth. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life. And then he was crucified on a cross and he died. His death on that cross paid for my sins. His death on that cross paid for your sins. His death on that cross paid for the sins of anyone who will put their faith in him. The crowning achievement was his life, his incarnation, his life, his, his crucifixion, and he rose from the dead. And that was a symbol of his victory over death, and it was also a symbol of our restoration to God. 
if we're willing, and it was a, it's a free gift, if we're willing to put our faith in what Jesus Christ has done, then our sins can be forgiven. And we can go from being broken and separated and judged by God, we put our faith in what Christ has done. And then, as we put our faith and we're forgiven, we become his children, then we have a restored relationship with him. And that restoration is just the beginning. It's just the beginning, because it doesn't solve all our problems, we don't instantly go to heaven, but it's just the beginning of a new relationship with him, it's the beginning of how we walk with him. But this is the foundation, this salvation. This is the start. All this must be in place for the the idea of having a new life in Christ to have any meaning for us. Once we're saved, then we have some honest reckoning to do. You know, our identity in Christ is settled, but sin can still damage and dampen our relationship with God. For example, unforgiveness and bitterness. I can sideline our faith and really can wreck our entire life if we dwell in bitterness and unforgiveness. And this is true whether we are the victim of sin or whether we're the perpetrator of sin, someone that sins against us and wounds us, if we, are, if we dwell in unforgiveness, that can be something that inhibits our relationship with God. And of course, if we are actively hurting other people, that of course is going to inhibit our relationship with God. One of the prescriptions, one of the part of the continuation of us preparing ourselves for new life in Christ is repentance. The verse that came to mind as I was thinking about this message and how to summarize this thing, I feel like here's the theme. Here's the theme for the first arc of our message. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, God spoke to Hosea, and he said, Plant the good seed. I said, this is God speaking. Plant the good seeds of righteousness. You will harvest a crop, a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness on you. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Plowing is an image for self-examination and repentance. So the question is, when we see something like this in Scripture, for me to ask myself, what do I need to plow up? What's the Lord speaking to me about? And the question I'd like to ask you, who are sitting here, or sitting somewhere else and listening to what we're talking about, what is it that you need to plow up in your life? We need to plow up our hearts. Who does the plowing? You do the plowing. We do the self-examination. We do the plowing. We do the repentance, and then God blesses us. It says he showers righteousness on us. He does that part as we engage the the self-examination and the repentance aspects of this. The second arc of our series entails building good habits on a foundation of grace. These habits include rest, resting what he's done, resting in our body, resting in our minds. It includes prayer and seeking him as someone who loves us and wants to be with us. It includes meditating and feasting on his scripture. There's other good habits, of course, that we could discuss as well. We weren't able to cover all of them. The key is, key is that we want tempo. We want constructive habits without legalism or self-righteousness. Good habits without legalism without self-righteousness. You can think of something you ought to do, whether it's brushing your teeth or mowing the grass or saying a prayer, memorizing verses, going to church, whatever it is. We can do this from the spirit of grace and something that we want to do because it needs to be done and we desire it, or we can do it because we feel like we're forced to it or we're guilted into it. The guilt maybe sometimes is unavoidable, but that's not where we need to stay. That's not where we need to dwell. That's not a positive, constructive habit. Our good habits 
should be founded on grace and not self-righteousness because the other side of the coin there is feeling guilted or drug into something you don't really want to do is feeling proud or self-righteous because you feel like you do something or I feel like I do something better than somebody else. I can think of that. I can think of examples in my mind where I continually judge other people because I think I'm doing something better than them. And that's something I need to reject from my life. The good news is Jesus wants these good habits which are founded in grace in our lives. He wants this for us. Jesus wrote, he said, you, in Matthew 7, 24, it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. We trust that Jesus knows the heart of God. We trust that he knows our hearts. We desire to serve him because we love him. Not to earn something from him. Again, we serve him. The goal is we serve him because we love him. That song we sang this morning, you know, we adore you, God. Adoration is not something you drag out of somebody. We serve him because we love him. Not because we think we want to get something from him or in a guilt-driven aspect. And we are wise when we give heed to his words. So the first two arcs of our message this past summer prepare our hearts to trust God and cooperate with him. And the third arc that we just finished preaching about this past month, it describes the spirit-led outcome if we walk in these first two arcs. And that outcome is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness with God. And you say, well, Dave, this all sounds like it's a lot of work and it might take a long time. And the answer is yes, it will take a long time. In fact, it will take your entire life. It will take a lifetime of successes and failures and repentance and getting up and dusting yourself off and trying again, receiving grace, walking forward, being open, being humble, getting help, encouraging others. It will take a lifetime to walk in these habits and to have this fruitfulness in our life. So, all this is easier said than done, right? You hear a sermon on Sunday, and that's great, but let's be honest, and it's possibly forgotten when we walk out the door. That's not an accusation. That's just the limitations of our brains and our very busy lives. So one of the keys to retaining information and building convictions is repetition. And finding alternate ways to engage your mind. So you come here, you sit, you listen, that's good. Maybe you talk about this, that's good. Another good way to engage something is to do, have a written exercise and a physical activity to help to drive this in. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to remove the cliche part of claim a promise, and we're going to do a written exercise here this morning to engage these truths and the entire arc of our sermon series a little more intentionally. I want you to do me a favor. You should have received a handout when you came in and a pen. Or you can, do, you can take your phone, if it's equipped, and you can scan this code here up on the screen, and it will walk you through the exact same survey. What I want you to do is we're going to come up with a personalized plan for you to assess where you're at in your own heart preparation, where you're at in building good habits, and where you're at in being fruitful for the Lord. And we're going to do this assessment right now during service. And then again, maybe if you'd like to, you can follow up again when you have more time later on. If you're following with us at home, we will send out the link so you will have this survey in our email so you'll be able to see what we're doing. Now, I, I do want to say this. 
you can do this assessment that we've prepared even if you haven't been present for every sermon in this series. So what we've done is we've put together a, a list of all the sermons and a brief description of the message, a suggested reading, and just a really simple checkbox response. So I'm not going to go through every single one. I don't know whether this is readable to you or not. I'll just review the first question here as a for example. Uh, the first message was by Pastor David DeGlow. It was about our identity in Christ. The first question says, as believers in Jesus, we experience a fundamental change in our relationship with God once we trust Christ as Savior. He's the only lasting foundation for joyful living. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you sense his working in your life? And you can check, and there's a suggested reading here, 1 Peter chapter 2, and you can just check a box. Struggling, meaning I'm not sure, or stagnant, meaning I think probably this is true of me, but it doesn't feel like I've seen much growth lately, or three, I'm growing in this. I feel encouraged. I feel like I have something that I can give and share with the people around me. So there's one question per sermon. Well, I encourage you to take a few minutes, read the question, read the patch, and then do a simple check mark on this. Don't overthink your answer. You just put your response. When you finish, you will have a personalized assessment of where you're at and how you've absorbed the truths and the encouragement and the challenge of these different messages. So when we're done, you'll have something to meditate on and think about and pray about for the future, and you have something maybe you can share with others so they can encourage you and help. Summary, we each have a different path, even though I give you a truth and their truth is consistent for each one of us, we each have different areas to grow in. And I'd like you to consider taking this home with you, meditate on it, think of it, go into more detail. If you had a conversation with someone that sparked something and said, wow, you know, this is something I need help in, find someone who knows you and loves you and you trust and they can encourage you in this. And if you're growing in something, if you're like, wow, I'm encouraged. It's like I've learned how to rest, for example. Maybe that's something that you can encourage someone else in too. So you, you have something to receive and you have something to give when it comes to assessments like this. Okay, some final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up. As believers in Jesus Christ, our life should be different. The differences are seen in these contrasts. We go from life to death through faith in Jesus Christ. We go from being God's enemy to being his child. We go from being spiritually broke to being a co-heir with Christ and having peace and power and purpose for this life. Things should be different in our life. I should notice the difference. If I say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if I say I've trusted him, if I say the Holy Spirit inside of me, and the promises of God say things should be different, we should expect to see something different in our life. We should expect to see things that are consistent with Jesus' exhortations and promises in our life. And if they're not different, if we feel like we're struggling with the same things over and over again, then I want to invite you or challenge you do some introspection, like God was telling Hosea. Break up the fallow ground. Open yourself up to what he's saying to you. Trust him that if you do that, he's going to reward you, not with condemnation, but with the free gift of life in Christ, with showers of blessings. Think of the farm analogy here. You have a hard ground, you break it up with a hoe or a plow or something like that, and what, when you do that and then it rains on top of soil that's hard, what happens to it? God responds to our initiation with him by raining righteousness and grace and peace on us, not condemnation. Take advantage of that wonderful gift that he gives us. So new life is not a state that we reach. 
and then stop. It's an ongoing process with ups and downs, as we mentioned before. It's different for each one of us. Thankfully, there is forgiveness for failure, and there's help when we ask, if we're humble enough to ask for help. And there's power through prayer and through Scripture and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Experiencing a healthy relationship with God does not mean that your problems are solved. Rather, it means that our experience is richer and it's founded in truth. We have joy in spite of our circumstances. That's what new life looks like. We have sacrifice with meaning. That's what new life looks like. We have fruitfulness in life. And that's what new life looks like. Is this something that you desire? Let's pray that God will lead us to abundance and intimacy with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, you are merciful when we deserve judgment. You are kind and patient when we deserve impatience. And you invite us into self-examination and you provide us with what we need to have abundance and intimacy with you. Father, I, I desire to know this. I desire to make a choice to seek after you every day. I desire to be fruitful for you. To, build, to glorify your name, to build your kingdom, to be a blessing to the people around me. I pray for all of us, Lord, who are hearing your words today. Lord, teach us to plow up the hard ground of our hearts. Teach us to joyfully receive the rain of righteousness that softens the ground. In Jesus' name, amen.